Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And it's it's been a week, man. They're all weeks. There's always there's always things going on and stuff, happenings, and I guess maybe we psychically manifested this. I've, I've heard talk of potentially me being a wizard and making things happen uh, with my prescience. Is that how you pronounce that word? I thought it was like prescience, but... Okay. I don't know, man. I also don't know. But what I do know, Loris of the Dream Den, gone, axed from modern, just as we predicted. And Pioneer? Yeah, okay. Yes, and Pioneer. Uh, I want that to matter. I like Pioneer. I don't know if it does. But, I mean, in any space other than Magic Online, basically. But I, I want it to matter. I want Pioneer to be a big thing. I wonder if they only didn't kill it in Historic because there's the set championship this week. Or they forgot about Historic. Also entirely possible. <laughs> I think it's in the realm of possibilities because I I don't see how you make the evaluation like this card is good in Historic, but not in these other spaces. Like it's kind of the same equation. All the, all the reasons they gave for not letting Loris continue to be a card were very good. And they also apply to historic. So I, I I think it's probably about this event. But like I said in the article I wrote over at arenadeckless.gg, where there were many, many, many articles that went up this week, if you are craving magic content, just going to do a little bit of shilling there. As I said, I think that there was such an easy ban to be made here that it was just like slam dunk. This card does nothing for anyone. We can get rid of this and, and everyone will move on and be very happy about it. And I think that's what happened. And the other thing I said was that there's, there's no clarity to the band timing, band decisions. Like, are we yeah. conscientious of upcoming tournaments? Are we not conscientious of it? Do you announce before bands happen? I would have said yes to that question before this Loris ban. Like, don't, didn't they say for weeks and weeks, like a ban is coming on Monday. That's how we did it. And then yeah, this one was just, ah, it's okay. Monday, Ben. Listen, listen. We, we also complained about them announcing announcements. Right? I know, but I'm, I, I I'm, just want to know what they're doing. I agree. I, agree. I am no longer complaining about whatever choice they want to make. They may do it however they want. Whatever they want to have their ban policy be, I will accept it. I will be fine with it. It doesn't really matter the specifics of it, but you need a policy. Like There has to be some way this works, not just complete fly by the seat of your pants, do whatever you want. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're what they're doing now. It doesn't really matter. The timing is weird because it's like this has been a problem for a while, but I'm not mad. Whatever, it's fine. And if they wait until after the Neon Dynasty Championship to ban Luris and Historic, maybe. But like looking at the, the metagame breakdown, it doesn't seem like it's as, you know, certainly not as prevalent there as it is in modern. Oh, for sure. For sure. Not as big of a problem. But like I, I think that tracks for Pioneer too. And they still made the move in Pioneer with the understanding that the Luris problem can only get worse over time. As you make good cards, it just accelerates. So why not deal with it now? And I would say the same thing on it. What if they only make good three drops from here on out? Well, that'd be an approach. And maybe the world would be better for it. But I have a feeling that's not what they're going to do. Yeah, you're probably right. Anything's possible, though. Yeah. uh, Content on the website, arenadeckless.gg, has been... Going pretty well, a little bit better than I thought it would. I did a continuation of my series that I started on Star City of like working on concept Tarkir development. And I think the people who are excited for it are like really excited for it. Yeah. And for other folks, I don't know, they they just didn't click on it. So I think I'm like pretty deep into two other articles in that vein and I think that they're on the back burner for now. Okay. I, I think you should deliver them. Like you said. I will. I it's, will. It's I niche content. Con- Not everyone wants it, but the people who like it really like it. Yeah. I want to continue them, but it's just like if the support were a little bit more overwhelming, then it would be different. And then the flip side of that is like I I wrote just kind of like a shit post that people seem to really like a lot, which was the opt versus consider thing. Yeah, a lot of traction on that one, and really more than I would expect as well. It's it's so weird. I mean, I I just I think one of the benefits about us being on our own and being free to make the content we want is that the rules are kind of thrown out the window, 
and we're going to be free to experiment with more just like, oh, this is on my mind. Like, for instance, when I wrote the article about the Luris Banding, I, I actually wasn't intending to write anything because I felt like we discussed it on the podcast last week, oddly enough. But then I had a little time. I was just letting my thoughts gestate. I started to write a tweet and I was like, well, this could kind of be fleshed out a little bit. And then I put up a tiny little article about it. And I, I think there's going to be way more of that type of stuff on the website going forward. We try and have something every day for you to click on. And, you know, it won't be 100% of the time, but we're pretty close right now. There's always something going on on the website. So I hope it becomes part of people's daily uh, content routine, as it were. Yeah, I mean, deck of the day was my way to cover that, right? Mm-hmm. And then I had a bunch of, like, Luris decks on deck. So... That is on the back burner until we get some new modern results, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am doing the same thing for the modern tier list. I want to see what happens on this first week of events, and then we'll update that. But, you know, if anything strikes me in the next few days, maybe I'll end up with another article. I I really like the workflow of just like, I don't have to come up with something to write about on this day. I have to wait until there's something that I want to write about, and then I just jam it out. It it fits right. my entire creative process so much better. Yeah, the opt versus consider thing was I watched Wafo uh, his his first five rounds. Like the the challenge that Wafo tenoed started at six a.m. Eastern, mm-hmm. and I was awake because uh, I was because early bird gets the worm, right? Because I was just up all night. Oh, okay. And it was it's it was one of those weekends where I was like, all right, I want to I want to play in these challenges. Right. And it's just trying to correct my sleep schedule to be even like remotely close to the schedule. Like the schedule is not that bad if you're an American and specifically like East Coast, too. I think it's better for. But I just I can't do it sometimes, you know. So this tournament's starting and I'm just like, well, I'm pretty tired. I'll probably go to bed soon. So I'm not going to play in this thing. I watched Wafo's first five rounds. And the question kept coming up a bunch. And I had actually like wrote about this before in an article about modern cobbly that I did. And like my final deck list ended up playing opt instead of consider, because it's like, you know, you can, you consider into like a cauldron on turn one that you want to tutor for on turn two. And it's like, well, shit, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't really afford to do that. Uh, so I devoted a paragraph to it in my article, but like, no one said anything. No one was like, oh, yeah, that's like really cool or like an interesting decision or whatever. Uh, and, you know, granted, SCG stuff was kind of on the decline. I don't think that article was paywalled, but it might have been, you know. So I don't know. It was just stuff like that where I was like, I covered this a month ago, you know, but but no one said shit as far as like it being interesting or cool. But like it kept coming up for Twitch chat and maybe just, you know, like. Twitch chat is not the Star City audience and like Twitter is maybe not the Star City audience. Maybe I should have been promoting my Star City stuff more, you know, it's hard to say, but I definitely did not expect the reaction that I got to it. Uh, I, I do think it's like interesting and cool as far as trying to figure that out when I was like building the Callblade deck. But once I like looked at it, it was like, I mean, you could just, you could just think about it and like look at the deck list and, just think about like what the deck wants and what the deck needs. And like, you could have the answer, but it, it just doesn't seem like that really resonates with people. Cause it's like, people ask that question for Wafo and it's like, I mean, the, the answer is on his deck list. If you want to just like, look, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not immediately obvious to a lot of people, which is why I wrote the article in the first place. And now I'm just like looking for more of those scenarios because like I, I if I could just make, those pieces that are just about minutia and they're interesting and I can like jam them out in a thousand words and people like them and feel smarter as a result of reading them. They learn something from them. Then that's great. That's basically what I want to do as far as creating content. So if any of those scenarios come up, hit me up, let me know. Yeah. I I like the X versus Y framework for you in particular. I think you do a really good job presenting that also as to like, it taking off in this moment versus the last time you presented it. I, I think context is just so much of that. And the the backdrop you use to make your point is worth just as much as the point itself. So Yeah, it's it's weird because like the, the tweet got a lot of traction, but I didn't know if it was like here's a Wafo Tenno deck list versus like the actual article attached it's, to it. It's probably know? a little bit of both. Yeah. It's probably a little bit of both. And that's, you know, a good lesson for 
for content. It's just like you you need hooks. You need a, appealing things to draw people in. And then if you get them a, a lesson stapled onto the back of the 10-0 deck list, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. I it's It's just so weird because I don't expect that exact type of scenario to come up like ever again. You know, it's like this well-beloved and lauded player as an expert in an archetype that is also pretty well-beloved, you know, like Waffle Top is a legend, right? right? For, for a lot of people and him winning a challenge is cool, but like 10-0 is so much more magical than like 9-1 or whatever. Yeah. No, no. A lot of, a lot of stars aligning for that to be sure. Yeah. So it, it was super weird. And I, made a follow-up post. It was like, I expected a hundred people to read this. And that was basically true. That was, th- those are my exact thoughts. I woke up and I just wrote the article. Didn't, didn't put a lot of thought into the presentation. Like I knew the outline that I wanted to have, but like there are certainly some, some things that I would change about the article in hindsight. If I knew that like 10,000 people were going to read it. Right. I can, I can understand that. Uh, I, I do think like the genuine curiosity that drove it though, is, is such a huge portion and the fact that you're free to pursue that curiosity in the moment where it's like this was really interesting to me i i just think that's such a huge boon for our content going forward and i hope it translates into stuff that people want to read and so far so good so i appreciate everyone who has come to the site if you haven't Same. checked it out you know feel free cruise by and uh, see if there's something useful for you there you know the last time that i thought of uh, a scenario like this that was similar came up that i almost wrote about and didn't what was it? Uh, when there was a player who was heckling a Worlds competitor while Worlds was happening about how they sideboarded. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I could break this down pretty easily. And I was just like, I just don't want to give like this situation any more attention. Yeah, I, I think that was the right decision given how that situation went. But I mean, still, it was like the hot topic and you probably would have generated a bunch of clicks for it. But I, I know that's not the that's not how we determine like what we do. It's not all chasing engagement. It's about what we care about and the right moments to make points too. So no, but but given the response to it, it was like there was definitely a learning moment mm-hmm. for a lot of people uh, sure. or a possibility where it could have been a learning moment. And I think that there was a lot of inherent value in explaining the situation to the point where I wanted to. And it, it wasn't like a thing that was obvious, right? It wasn't like, well, if you look at the deck list and have played with it or whatever, you'll, you'll kind of understand intuitively. But right. I thought it was a good opportunity to, to write about something like that because similar to the opt consider stuff, it's this very like hard hitting sort of minutiae type of thing where I get to break things down. And I really do enjoy that. But I I didn't want to just like fuel the toxicity that came along with it. But now going forward, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to write about those scenarios like context began. Sure. As long as as long as you have a lesson you want to drop on people, I, I say go for it. Yep. So that's that's my plan. I'm looking for these things. I don't think it's going to change, you know, our our output or anything too heavily. But I'm definitely interested in those scenarios. And this is a thing that I've been saying on Discord for a while that like people haven't really taken me up on. But it's just like very interesting, like what's the play or mulligan scenarios in involving decks that are towards the top tier, I think are, are also potentially very good. And I like mm-hmm. those things too. Nice. So I don't know. Send that stuff my way. I'll compile them. Maybe eventually make some content out of it. Who knows? I will look forward to it. I'm sure everyone else is looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to... Are you? I'm I'm calling it the Pro Tour, Gerald. Have I told you that, that I have just decided to do this? Because it's like every single time I, my brain reaches for the words Pro Tour, and then I stop myself, and I have to be like, Neon Dynasty Set Championship. Right. I mean, you, you heard me like kind of pause and... Yeah do you know correct enunciation and pronunciation and everything it just like it's a mouthful that's why it doesn't roll off like we can just say pro tour and it's completely fine so and that's where i want to go with it like i we're we're pretty good at like when the dialogue changes we give up our boomer ways like i don't still call obzan junk or you know, I, I don't call it rug delver. It's it's teamer delver. I've I've made that change, and like I think probably 
the discourse is better for it. It's easier to communicate when we're all using the same terms. <laughs> but this one, we, we just, were, no, let's be real, dude. We were maybe not hesitant to adapt it, but it was definitely just like, yeah, whatever the hell it's called, like kind of making fun of it. And we've been doing that for a while. Maybe that was just me. The you're talking about the pro tour now. Yes. Yeah. But like, I, I sort of thought my brain would wrap around it though. Like I, I get feeling that way at first, but it just keeps coming up and coming up and I still haven't been like, okay, I'm on board with this naming convention now because well, Abzan's been Abzan for eight years and they were mythic whatevers. See, I don't even remember, right? It's just like they were mythic whatevers and they were set championships. Myth- mythic championships, right? Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And well, there's no, there was also the mythic invitationals. That was, as well. that was a, a one off. Okay. And so, the other things were called mythic championships? Correct. And now they're set championships. Yes. And but I really, they're pro toys. There might have been, there might have been a thing in between. I don't think so, though. But it feels like the, so like it, it's changed every couple of years. So it's harder to get into the, I don't know, get used to doing it when the, you know they're, they're just going to change it again, right? Right. So, but Abzan has been Abzan for eight years. It's been a while, yes. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't pat yourself on the back too too hard for that one. If they change it a bunch of times since then and they're like, well, now it's Indatha or whatever, you know, it's like, come on. We would still be calling it Abzan. Do you think they change the name of the Pro Tour again in the near future? Officially, this time, well, not just not just me stubbornly calling it the Pro Tour. Well, it is going to cease to exist potentially. They have said that they want to do high level events still, kind of like Grand Prix type of stuff and Pro Tour type of stuff. I don't know if that is actually going to be what happens, mm-hmm. but say they eventually settle on a model like that where you just don't have pro levels. I think it is entirely reasonable for them to no longer have them be set championships, but I, I like I don't know if, if it even matters at that point. You know, I'm not sure either. So but again, gonna- what does matter is the results of this polling done by Frank Karsten. Frank Karsten basically writing our podcast for us this week. So big shout outs to Frank. And also, I'll take this moment to note that whatever gripes I may have uh, about the broader structure of professional play. This just points to how many individuals are still doing great work trying to prop up this whole scene and everything that's going on. I mean, this was such a fantastically presented, researched, well done article that just got me up to speed on two formats that, quite frankly, I had lost all interest in and had no idea what was going on. in. So as we move through this article, this is as much like me coming up to speed on these things as it is us trying to bring you up to speed because I had checked out of both historic and alchemy and I'm really only peeking in because there is this event coming up this weekend. Uh, real quick. I was poking around on magic.gg and yeah. was reading some of the articles leading up to the event. Cause I'm, I'm still always interested in like the big events, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was an article by Elizabeth Rice, Ellie of the Vale about the Japanese contingent yep. and just all of her stuff. Uh, Very good. She's one yeah, of my favorite writers. Yeah, like her her human interest piece type of stuff for the official website has been so good. It's just on point every single time. Well written, like really captures like the essence of the person. Like it's just all super really well done. I so, agree with you. So yeah, those those things are still on point and they still exist. They're still there. It just sucks that you know the events are a shell or whatever. A hustle. Yeah. Yep, but I, I thought it was worth you know highlighting these individual yes. contributors that all do such a good job and you know, it, I'm sure it's it's hard to separate your own work from like the broader thing being worse and I'm sure it's demoralizing to hear us be like well oh, this thing's not as good as it used to be but these people are doing great work and it's worth acknowledging that. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, historic and alchemy are the formats for this event. No limited, yay! Always love it. Is is weird though because. Alchemy doesn't have the Kamigawa cards, which I don't even think have been like previewed or anything. They have not, no. So the format will likely change after, which means that the results from this event are not super relevant. And Historic has not been on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. But I mean, it's possible that it becomes more of a, a thing because like they've been pushing Alchemy a lot or been trying to, right? And Historic kind of 
got run over as a result of that. But I still think that Historic's like an interesting format that could be good if they wanted to showcase it and if they're not bringing Pioneer onto Magic Arena, for example. I still like Historic sort of in general, although like obviously the alchemy nerfs and like the non-wild card refunding stuff, like obviously that's a bullshit. But the format itself is cool because Is It Phoenix is the most popular deck. So you're you're always going to get my vote, you know? I If that's all it takes, then yes, I would also be on board with Historic. I agree with everything you said in terms of it potentially being interesting, but just the alchemy stuff was was too far for me. And I don't remember where these numbers were pulled from. It was one of like the data scraping tools. And the, the numbers for these two formats are bad, like real bad. And I don't know how you fix that at that point. And you could just say, okay, whatever, these formats aren't working out. You know, they weren't meant to be the primary formats anyway. But the entire economy is predicated on historic being meaningful. And I think that has as much to do with historic being part of this pro tour as anything else. Is that like you have to make this stuff relevant because otherwise who cares? Like who's going to go back and buy these historic anthologies or whatever historic releases you want to do if you don't find some way to make it relevant? Because just in terms of like sitting down to use the program as a casual user, it's very clear that neither Historic nor Alchemy are doing very well right now. They need to put something in the store that's like Historic pre-cons or like mm-hmm. an intro to Historic thing where, I don't know, maybe you spend like 100 bucks, but you get like a lot of the staples. Sure. And anything. Anything that is like consumer focused and actually considering like how do we get people to buy these things other than just being like, ah, these idiots will buy it no matter what we do. Right. I can't imagine trying to start Arena now. No, no. And no, no. trying to get into either of these formats, really. Nope. It seems it seems incredibly daunting and not realistic. And that's not how you make a competitive scene that people want to follow and will care about. And you know, it'll be interesting to see what viewership looks like. I think people are hungry for magic tournaments. They're hungry for well-produced, well-casted magic tournaments, which this will certainly be. And again, incredibly talented people in the booth, incredibly talented people putting the show together. So none of that stuff is going to be problematic. It's just like, do you have the public attention, the inertia to actually make like a well-watched broadcast? A lot of the the cool stuff from Pro Tours was like, you watch the Pro Tour and then you, you know, play a deck in... FNM or something, right? Yep. And you try to not not like recreate the experience, but it's like you you get to watch someone do a thing that's really cool and then you get to kind of try and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, playing online helps with that, but it's like when the formats have such a high barrier to entry, like both these formats, honestly. And it just makes it really difficult for the viewer to actively want to be engaged with it because they know that they can't replicate the experience. It's just like not doable. It's like I don't know, watching people play vintage or whatever. That's a good way of putting it. And how did that work out for Vintage over the long term? You know, it, I mean, there's a lot of problems there, but yeah. Regardless, I, I think some effort to uh, bring in new players to these formats would be in Wizards of the Coast's best interest. They just have to decide how they want to do it and how much of their perceived equity they think they're giving up. But like, how easy is that to make the argument that you sacrifice some ec- equity now for future equity? Like, it's so obvious. You just say, OK, get get them hooked now and give them this thing and then they'll update this deck in the future. And the arguments kind of make themselves and their rigidity to this model of delivering cards. It, it's got to break at some point. It's just not sustainable. The argument for quarterly earnings is relevant for that when you're talking about like sacrificing short term game for long term gain. Mm-hmm. But in this instance where it's like, oh, you put a hundred dollar like intro pack to You'll sell it. store. You'll yeah, sell exactly. It. It's like yeah. th- that actually just generates short term profit, too. And maybe you lose some long term profit, but I doubt it because those players were probably priced out of the format to begin with. That would be my read on it as well. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure they have metrics that are telling they're they're not just guessing randomly at what's informing their approach to economies they're they're using data they're using metrics i just think you can make data say whatever you want so i i'm not convinced that even if you have something that you can point to for support of this approach it's still 
not necessarily going to be the right approach. Uh, so you can, they can. I have a story about that if, if you want to hear it. I would love to hear it. So uh, one of the meetings that I took part in was maybe in all hands or like close to it where we went. This is, you know, me working for them back in 2013 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So long time ago, things could have maybe changed since then, but I doubt it. You'll, you'll find out why. We're going over the results of a survey that they sent out. And it's, you know, kind of unclear as to like who the survey went out to and whether or not they're the right group to give answers to these questions, whatever. But I distinctly remember one of the questions and I had problems with a lot of the questions because they were like this. But one of the questions I distinctly remember was, did you enjoy standard with Born of the Gods? And it was like 70% say yes. Conclusion was that Born of the Gods made standard better. Nah, that doesn't doesn't track. Does not track for me. There are a lot of things that happened where I was like, I'm new here. I should probably just keep my head down, you know. Uh, And I I think I did raise the question with Aaron Forsyth at some point where I was like, dude, this doesn't seem right. You know, like and I I meant that in a way where it's like this is definitely not right. Right. (laughs) But I was trying to be like political and nice about it. And. It's just like, yeah, this th- this thing does not mean this other thing. But yeah, I guess like if you want the data to say that, you can. But that's not how that works. I see this in every single field I've ever worked in, been involved with uh, from like an, uh, an outsider's perspective. It, it's just you, you take the narrative you want to present and you find the way to use the data to justify it. Correct. And you can always do it. You always, 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 always can. It's, there's it's just a constant. And, you know, I, I don't want to, this, this isn't to say data isn't valuable, but the most important feature of using data is interpreting it properly. Data in and of itself is worthless. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't have an official business analytics department at that point either. So mm-hmm. I am very sure given the size of their enterprise now, they do. Yeah. And I I am sure all of this has been supported by research and data. I just don't buy it. So if you don't remember, Standard with Theros, uh, at least towards the tail end, like in the beginning, it was like, oh, look at these things we can do, whatever. But it was quickly determined that Mono Blue Devotion and, and Mono Black Devotion were the only two viable decks. Yep. Two deck format. And, you know, eventually like some blue white control decks got built. Cool. Okay. You know, maybe three deck format. Born of the Gods, very few playable cards for standard, basically didn't change anything. Yeah, I'm trying to remember like the biggest hitters for Born of the Gods. It was like and Wild Blight and Brimaz. Yeah, Maybe. so I, I actually played that Pro Tour, but it was a modern Pro Tour. So I don't yeah. have like the standard context for it. It wasn't yeah. a lot, regardless. Yeah, I'm, I'm not coming up with anything off the top of my head. So uh, now I'm trying to like think through the limited format, which I also played a lot of to remember the cards that were there, but no huge difference makers, at least in terms of like the mono blue, mono black paradigm. And you're right. I do remember Sphinx's Revelations deck also being part of the equation, but you know me and I wasn't playing those decks. So I, I think they were a good tier. I only played mono black and mono blue throughout that entire format. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. I should have played mono blue more. Which was, I think so. Which was zero. And uh, so what, what did, you, did you play just mono black? Yeah. Only okay. mono black. Yeah. I played more mono black than blue, but I, I played both decks. The The problem was, is that the first tournament I played mono black, I made top eight. Okay. And it, it, was like, it was like not close, but as the format evolved and people got better, it's like mono black got slightly worse. Right. Cause it's like people were better at dealing with pack rat and underworld connections, and sabotage myself as I do. Yeah, I, f- I feel that. I also remember like some hex proof for like a brief second because there was like the protection from blue creature that they would sideboard. And I remember just like playing a PTQ or something where I, I went O2 and I just got housed by the mono blue creature over and over. <laughs> Good times. Uh, okay, historic archetypes. Is it Phoenix? 24.5% of the field are people of discerning taste. Yes, I agree. Uh, although I should note that I heavily disagree with how a lot of people build their Phoenix decks. I hope we can hear more about that in the future. Maybe we'll, we'll see when the deck lists are out. Ooh. Oh, before we do this, actually, uh, coverage of the event starts Friday, 9am. 
Pacific. Any interest in watching the event together and streaming it? That sounds like a no. Well, I'm I'm going through. I have interest. I may have someone coming to do uh, yet more repairs on my house during that time. So I, I may be in and out. But so that's going to be noon Eastern, right? Yep. yep. Okay. That's kind of in my sweet spot. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's maybe about when I'm going to bed sometimes. So we'll okay. see. So are you going to actually be awake for this? I can't say with any certainty. Although today I went to sleep at 8 and woke up at 1 p.m. Okay. Not sure. I mean, that kind of puts you in the sweet spot for yeah. for being awake at that time. Yeah, it's not bad. And okay. I it's like as long as I don't take a nap or something, I could I could potentially swing it. Yeah, I, I'm into this idea. I'm down for hanging out, uh, okay. watching watching the PT. Although I don't know that this episode will necessarily be out in time that we're actually advertising the stream right now. I know, I know. Okay. So it's more just a conversation for us than part of the podcast. Yes. Okay. Anyway, yeah. back to historic. The second largest archetype is Azorius Control at 9.2%. I am shocked. I, I am shocked to see Azorius Control this represented. I, I would have expected as a Phoenix to be the most represented deck. I, I would have put the third place deck in second place. Uh, Golgari Food is the third place deck. Now, granted, we're talking 21 decks versus 20 decks. So it's it's not a huge difference, but people still love Azorius Control. I mean, where's your opinion on where Azorius Control sits in this format right now? Uh, March of otherworldly light. I keep yeah. wanting to call it otherworldly journey. I know you, you didn't like this card that much during previous season. So it's, it's bad mana wise, but it is versatile. Yeah. And the thing that I didn't think about for modern, by the way, is like killing their saga with the trigger on the stack. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that's mana neutral, you know? Yeah. Not that's bad at good. all. I was not thinking about it in terms of modern, but for historic, when, you're playing blue white control and they're like witches ovens and trailer crumbs and stuff you need to kill. Like this is, yeah. this is a good pickup. Yeah. Good tool. It, it's basically playing the role of like the prismatic ending in the historic format. And then like you said, it does have modern applications as well because of those oddball cases. So yeah, I, I liked this card a lot. I remember seeing it during my, my time before the set was out and just being like slam dunk, awesome inclusion. Love that this exists. Really good print. And had had no notes, didn't want any changes. I was just like, you guys nailed it. Really like that this card exists. So yeah. I'm I'm happy to see this playing part of the format. Yeah, I mean my my big thing with it was like if you are going to have to pitch things for it, like in, in standard, you know, you're gonna have to kill like a chariot with it or something at some point, right? And yep. that's a pretty big mana investment. So if if you're going to ever pitch, if you ever have to pitch to do it, you need some way to recoup the card advantage. And uh historic. Like, A, a lot of the permanents are cheaper because, you know, lures exist, right? But, like, yep. also just the, the format is lower to the ground in general. And that means that you probably won't have to pitch as often. You want the versatility to kill things like Trail of Crumbs. And there's also just a ton of card advantage to recoup it anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. All good points. And especially in game one, it's like, you know, maybe you have a, a Wrath of God that doesn't really matter because they're not going super wide. You know, they have, like, a Goose and a Cauldron Familiar or something. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Just pitch that. Yep. And I've liked Azorius Control in the format just in general. So it is it is interesting. I think that there are a lot of ways that you can configure it to be good against the top decks, like, you know, Phoenix, Golgari Food, uh, the Auras decks. Maybe those are a little bit tougher. And I don't know. Then you see stuff like, well, I guess there's there's Jeskai Control in fifth, which is, it, it makes the Azorius numbers look a little bit lower than they are because they're, pretty functionally the same deck yeah and we i mean if you want to start stretching you also get the azorius lotus field deck yeah uh, so the lotus that. the lotus field decks are scary uh from yeah. from the like fair side of the the control matchup you know but, yeah can definitely get a huge edge go over the top of what the other control stuff is doing so i i mean i i think if you had asked me to like pick a control deck for this tournament i would have gone closer to the lotus field decks than any of these other setups but like I, I wouldn't have picked a control deck for this tournament. It's hard, like with me not being uh, super caught up on the format. I think it's tough to register a control deck because you have no idea how to build it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the folks who are super tuned in and 
playing a bunch on ladder and like know the metagame, know what people are going to show up with. I think it's a fine choice. What percentage of the field do you think is super tuned in? Because I get this like I know. Well, hold on. I'm actually going to speak against the fact that people aren't very tuned in because I get a perception based on the people who make up my social network, who are people who have been around magic for a very long time, many of whom are like the leftovers of the MPL system who still are qualified for this tournament somehow based on how they did in 2017, uh, which is uh, mind blowing. (laughs) But that is that is where we're at. Yeah, a lot of those people have checked out for sure. I think I think that's unquestionable. And you see a lot of people who are like, I just played the format the first time this week and uh, it's it's not bad. I kind of enjoy it. I didn't know anything about it until now. So some of that is blustering. A lot of it is true. I think a lot of those people are out, but you you probably hear less from the people who are just like in the trenches grinding to see this as their shot. You know, they finally made their maybe not their first pro tour, but you know, they're in their second or third pro tour now and they're starting to get their feet wet and get comfortable and are committed to the idea of this ecosystem, whatever it may be and committed to the idea of competing in magic. And those people are very invested. So, so how do you think it actually splits between the people who are like, haha, never touched this format before versus the people who are really doing the work and very plugged in? Well, there are a lot of reasons why the Japanese contingent is crushing it. And one of the reasons is that they were as good as the best already. Mm -hmm. Another reason is that now it seems like they are just hyper organized and working really well together. And the other thing is that like a lot of the English speaking part of the pro tour is the, the contingent that's checked out. So you have like a lot of the top players not really caring and the Japanese players are just like, okay, cool. Free money, you know? So I, I do think, that uh, that was basically why I groan is because it's like, yeah, I know that that's sort of the discourse is like everyone's checked out or whatever, but it's just, it's the boomers that are checked out. Yep. I think it's overblown, but uh, everyone else it's like, they're, they're, they're just living online testing these formats, like living in discord, chatting with each other and like breaking it. So that's, it's like true for some aspect, but not others because there's also kind of like the, boomer Japanese players who are also just like, no, we're still taking this seriously. I love that you mentioned Discord because can you imagine what you could have done with like that platform and well-organized groups and like talented players back in your heyday? Like getting people together was such hard work. It was so difficult to efficiently share information, to play test. And, you know, I I see this happening in the flesh and blood space where I'm in a Discord where it's just the, the best people in the game grinding games constantly, leveraging information, learning all the time. And it's like, it's just such an efficient tool for this type of endeavor. And we, we didn't have it. We struggled to find these tools. And I think that's a actually secretly big part of why these teams and these players are so good is that they just have better means of communication. I tried to make a lot of forums back in the day. And I, think- I know you did. I was in some of those forums right. and they, they were they were great for what they were, but in terms of like the feedback you got, it, it can't compare to discord. It's just night and day. So the thing is, is like forums are really not that much different, right? It's like you make a post versus like send a chat. Like, yeah, obviously it's way easier to just send a chat, you know, but like functionally they're pretty similar. The problem was trying to get people to go to an extra website that they weren't already at. But I think a lot of people just have discord open because now it's like, also it's like using aim to talk, to talk to your friends. Right. It's like, what if aim was also a message board type of thing, or like you could have group chats or whatever, you know, then it would have been a game changer for sure. There, there's an element of functionality though, that the, that Discord provides that the no, no, no. Obviously forums Discord, could have never, yeah. ever competed with. Discord, You couldn't hop on the forum and play a game against someone else who was thinking about the same thing you were and stream it to 15 other people to observe and right. give their feedback on. You yeah. know, it's just like... Obviously, Discord is like way, 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 way better. But as far as like the information sharing, I was just like, look, this is the best thing that we got, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and people were just like, nah, I go to like you know, Yahoo news or whatever. And I can't, I can't be bothered to open another tab. I don't even know how to do that. Different world boomers, man. And then eventually just like people would stop going to the website, you know? Yeah. And it was like, all right, I guess I delete this. I start a new forum of like time for a new forum, the, the people who are invested, you know? 
Yeah. And that's yeah, just how it went. That. Yeah. I think it's an important tool and, and one of, I mean, a small part of the equation, but an interesting part nonetheless. The, the ease of which you get people together certainly matters a lot, especially when you can't gather in person, mm-hmm. re- realistically at least. Yep. So yeah, it does matter for sure. I'm curious. I'm curious what the Japanese contingent uses. I don't know. I don't know the answer for that. I don't know if Discord is widely propagated. I, I imagine there's something similar, if not Discord. But interesting question. Because I like, I've I've like emailed Kenji and DM'd him on Twitter and stuff, and it's just like clearly he is not super online on those platforms. Mm-hmm. Like he'll respond within a couple of days or whatever. But like if that if that man is on Discord, I gotta I gotta get his information. And Adam, you know, reach out to him. There you go. Anyway, Lotus Field, I think, is good for overpowering decks, but is way worse at playing the nickel and dimey grindy games mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, counterspell this and then sweep and then draw some cards and find my march or whatever to kill your weirdo permanent and then eventually kill you. The Lotus Field deck is like, way more inconsistent because you have the things that need to enable the Lotus field. You have the Lotus fields themselves where it's like, well, maybe you can't cast charm on turn three or whatever, because you have to do all this nonsense instead. Yeah. So I generally don't like the feel of those decks. And if the, the format was more like, is it Phoenix and like other control decks? I think I would like it more, but I guess, I don't know. You kind of need like different tools to beat up on food. Maybe farewell is good enough for that. Maybe it's it's weird too because if you like combine some of these numbers, you are probably looking at about fifty percent of the field playing either is it Phoenix or some form of control. So, uh, yeah, more probably because there's nine percent Azorius control, six point six Jeskai control, five point seven Azorius Lotus Field, five point seven Azorius Urian. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's a lot. There's also no real aggro deck represented here like there is gruel aggro still exists as part of the format only six players playing that in this entire field so it's you're kind of missing one of the the prongs i don't think auras quite falls under that you know that's more infect ish i would say than uh, a pure aggressive deck it is but it, it puts a lot of the same pressure on you to have to be able to interact like early and often right? yeah I, I i guess it's more more vulnerable to like fewer points of interaction is what i would say yeah but you need them as soon as possible. you do need them absolutely absolutely and uh, i mean that that's kind of another place where march shines too because you know kai's ghost form on a thing is mm-hmm. kind of a big deal against the blue eye control decks or like jess guy with lightning helix and stuff like that it's like okay now you have this this clean exileable answer so yeah it's, it's good to have an emergency uh safety valve basically and march can function as that as well so March does exile, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. I don't know. I've, I've just like said, I've, I've said stuff like that on the podcast before where I'm like, in my mind, it does this. And then I just end up being wrong. Yeah. I, I was pretty confident about that one, but as soon as you doubted it, I was like, Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. The, the thought just crept in my mind. It's like, you could be wrong. You're, you're not very smart sometimes. And I was like, yeah, brain, you're right. Always possible. We get it wrong. Rakdos Arcanist at 5.7%. I I don't like this deck. You know I loved this deck. Okay. And you see the, the past tense going on there. Yeah, so I love the deck. I don't think it's very good. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine what this actually fares well against at the moment. I think it's like the 48% deck where you, you have game against everyone. You're never out of it. I just don't know that you have any really good matchups right now. So, you know, I, I often want to play decks like that when other is a big part of the metagame where I just don't know and I can't target anything effectively. So I'm I'm willing to just be like, I have good sideboard plans. I'm willing to take a deck with like a little bit lower power level. Uh, at 23.6%, other's a little bit too small for me to lean on something like that. In See, I, I don't even really like Arcanist against most other decks because it's like it's stuff like Niv-Mizzet where they just kind of like dominate you, you know? If if I was looking for a thing to beat up on the other category, it would be the Lotus Field decks. Here's here's where like you can always make an argument for Arcanist against other is cuz thought season to Arcanist is just like outs to everyone. I you, you can I play know, but virtually any any setup with that. You play so much small ball though, where it's easy for, easier for people to like outmuscle you. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that, you do. And that, I, think that, I think that's why this deck has fallen out of favor is because it yeah. just doesn't it, it doesn't line up with the general uh, gist of historic. But every time like people doubt this deck, 
there's a copy in in the top eight by someone who has just like strong sideboard plans. It's comfortable true. with the deck. So that's definitely true, but it's it's never widespread success for the archetype either. Agreed. Agreed. Uh what else? Everything everything past that is kind of random. There's uh a few Grease Fang Parhelion decks, five yeah. little copies. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And like you mentioned, if Mizzet's still around, Esper Pack still hanging around is a small part of the metagame. So uh, there's there's weirdo stuff out there. It's it's going to be fun to track if any of these decks puts together a good run. That's what you're looking for in this scenario. It's just like one of these weirdo decks, completely off the beaten path, looks looks dominant. That's when things get really excited, uh, and I'm I'm hoping to see something like that. But I I have my doubts. I think the format has kind of fixed its its power level at this point. Like you know the power points, and it's really really hard to sneak under them. Uh, but I am certainly rooting for these players on the more out there list. Things like, uh, you know, Scurry Oak, still very <laughs> small representation. I see a Paradox Engine list out there. So any of that type of stuff would be really exciting to, to see do well. So uh, Hidetsugo Consumes All is mentioned uh, as a, a sideboard card for Rakdos Arcanist in some of these mm-hmm. lists. And I do like that. I think that that's a card that could potentially help you against you know, the other category, right? Sure. Yeah. But Oni Cult Anvil and stuff like it would make me want to gravitate towards food decks and not like Corvold. Definitely like the super low to the ground Luris ones. Yeah. And it would make me less likely to play something like Phoenix because I don't know, like, you know, Chandler on Holy Heat, Phoenix, like they're still pretty fair magic cards as a whole and fairish yeah and we saw just like how badly the the golgari food deck like decimated the phoenix decks at the Mm. industry championship so they would they need a lot of help in that matchup Uh, i I guess like food is like a little bit underrepresented for what i thought probably because azori's control now has a lot of good answers to them yeah it could have a lot to do with march uh so another i can't say enough good things about this article it like basically does our job for us so i i feel almost a little bad just cribbing it but it it presented all the information you need so i why go and get it a second time uh seven most played neon dynasty cards i think are really interesting it is march of otherworldly light at the top uh then wandering emperor and farewell floating around you mentioned hidetsugo consumes all Really nice sideboard card in the format. Light Paws, of course, upgrading all of those Auras decks quite a bit. Then we have Grease Fang, and finally round out the list with Oni Cult Anvil uh, doing a little little stuff for Rakdos. I, I would so. expect more Anvils, honestly. Well, it's it's weird because you already have like the food engines, and, and granted, you can combine this stuff. It all it all yeah. can go together. But man, those Gogari food decks are so lean, so efficient. I am I'm not sure the upside is there to branch out into Oni Cult Anvil. It's it's a lower yeah. power version of the same shenanigans the food deck gets up to, right? Like it's it's food with safety valves. Yeah, it just adds a little bit to it. And I mean, this is me saying that without actually like looking at the deck list, you know? Well, mm-hmm. it, yeah. I don't know. It's like maybe maybe Rakdos food is better, or maybe you're supposed to be like Rakdos just playing trail somewhere. Maybe. Maybe some. That's where I would have started. But yeah, obviously, if you're playing against a bunch of like marches and farewells and stuff, it's like, well, OK, I mean, maybe maybe control is actually pretty good. We will see. Uh, I am probably more excited for the historic portion of this tournament than the alchemy portion. It's because... closer to a real format. So it has my attention. Yeah, yeah, closer. I mean, at least it has like a reason to exist, especially when we go and see what is actually good in the alchemy format and it's 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 weird it's weird why does why are we why are we doing this how did the number one deck get to be mono white aggro i don't know i don't i don't have an answer for you i mean like (laughs) the cynic in me is like people already had the mono white deck to play standard and they were just like meh mono white aggro i feel like two weeks ago people were complaining about divine purge being too good that is true. That's something I've definitely heard. And wait, that car I, that car got nerfed, right? I don't think so, but I I could be wrong. No, no. This is the, this is the same. I think maybe we were talking about like moving it to four mana, and then it just crept in my head. It's possible we identified it as one of the cards that could do with a nerf, but I don't I don't think it actually got hit with a nerf. No, no, no. no. Okay. No, and yeah, mono mono white sitting atop the format most played deck is. I think a shocker to everyone. Sort of the buzz was around Naya runes. Now, which again granted, is funny because 
the runes deck has like no alchemy cards? Yeah, go go to my standard tier list. You know what comprises my tier one presently? It is a, a Selesnya mid-range deck, which got there by default because I have set a precedent where if you win both events on the weekend, you get to sit atop the tier list. So it's there now. I don't think it'll be there all that long. The other tier one deck I have, Mono White Aggro, and the tier 1.5 deck, Naya Runes. So yeah. what are we doing here? Like, what have we actually accomplished well, by creating this other format? They built they built some busted alchemy cards, and then they nerfed them all. Right. So we're back to standard. And this is good. We're supposed to be enjoying this more than standard. Standard is great right now, like straight up great. And this format, I, I don't have a problem with what you're presenting to me here. This doesn't look flawed or, or stupid. There's just no reason for it to exist at all. It's funny because there, there are some decks on here. So like Mardu Midrange is a third place deck, 9.2%. I don't really know what's in it. And then the fourth place deck, Orza Venture, I definitely don't know what's in it. I know that they like, you know, buff some of these cards. They buffed all all the dungeon cards. So that is what that's leaning on. And if that's good, that's that's cool. That's neat. That's is, an interesting it story. Cool. It is cool. You get to be, see people like Venture and Constructed, which has basically not happened. Yeah. And that's that's good. Uh, is it worth an entire format with made up magic cards? I, I don't think so. One of the cards that Frank goes on to mention later on in the article and kind of highlighted as one of the headline cards for this Mardu deck is City Stalker, City Stalker Connoisseur, which is a card I know you were really high on when we were doing our initial alchemy run through. It didn't make our top 10 list or anything, but you thought it might have some potential. If you don't know what this is, I don't blame you. It's a three colorless black creature vampire death touch. When City Stalker Connoisseur enters the battlefield, target opponent discards a card with the greatest mana value among cards in their hand, create a blood token. Yeah. And apparently this is this is the backbone of this Mardu deck, which is fascinating to me. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this list. I don't know. Did I did I dream that like all these cards got nerfed and they didn't get nerfed? No, some some of the cards got what what else did you think got nerfed that is not? What changed about Inquisitor Captain? So is it possible that these are using like old images? Because Inquisitor Cop Captain did change, right? Oh my god. See, this is why you don't make fake magic formats. Okay, yeah. So they are using old images. It's now just if you cast it. So you can't yes. you can't glass pool mimic it. But the one that's showing up on the website is just the image. Is the older image? Yeah. Love it. Lo just perfect. Perfect. Uh speaking of things we love, there there's also <laughs> something going around that uh Shatter Skull Smashing and Magma Opus are both bugged and they won't be fixing it before the event. No, what? How are they bugged? Yeah. How are they bugged? Uh, if Shatter Skull Smashing or Magma Opus has multiple targets for divided damage, and then any target of any spell or ability becomes illegal while oh. the Smashing Opus remains on the stack, the damage will incorrectly fail to deal damage to any of its targets. So, this happens in all cases where the damage is split across multiple targets, and it does not occur if there is a single target for damage. So normally how this works, and this, this comes up a lot, is like if I fire your two X ones, right? Like your two birds of paradise. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to kill one in response or bounce one in response to try and counter the fire ice. That doesn't work because it doesn't work. A spell will resolve if it still has a legal target. A legal target. Correct. But if you get rid of all the legal targets, then the spell will get countered. So in the example of like cryptic command, which is like tap all of your opponent's creatures, bounce a thing and you just like target their creature land. And you kill the creature land in response. Well, now the tap thing doesn't work because Cryptic has no targets. So I, I know that like a lot of people kind of understand that, but they don't know the exact reason. And that is why. And now it just seems like, well, the rules are different on Arena now for Smashing and Opus. Yeah. So in Magma Opus's case, as long as its targets are not made illegal... The spell will do as much as possible. Tap permanence, create a 4-4, draw two cards, but the damage will not be dealt. So it's it's not countering the card. Okay. It's just like breaking it. Yeah, but for Shatter Skull Smashing, it is effectively countering it because all it does is Effectively. Damage. Yes, it only splits two damage. So what does that mean for the tournament? Like well, what I can tell you is that unfortunately, we will not be able to fix this bug ahead of the event and players should be aware of it. As there is no direct fix, our policy for this weekend is players will play the result as Arena interprets it. Players negatively affected by this will be emailed with instructions on what to do if this comes up in a match. So you've already submitted decks with these cards in them. 
your decks may now have this flaw, but you have to play the card as Arena interprets it. Right. So, so say you smashing my my two gold span dragons, and I have a fading hope. Yeah, one and, of those gold span dragons is going to live. Right, because like that's that's a scenario where I would probably want a fading hope my one dragon, and I would expect the other one to die. But like now, Arena is just going to let it live, and like that's okay. That's just how it works. That's how it works. Yes. So there's no penalty for the person like abusing the fact that these cards are bugged. <laughs> well, it's just like that. That is in, in the case you're describing. Are they abusing it? Well, they're, they're not. You said you would want to make that play anyway, potentially. Okay. Well, I you know say it's a removal spell instead. Then. Yeah, that's a that's a better question. That's a better question. I don't know. I I can't answer that. I think the best thing to do for the tournament is to just you know play it as is. Right. It's like okay, this this is how the cards work now, at least for this event, and that sucks because it takes it one step closer into like this is just a fake tournament territory, but. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, damn. Yeah, not not great. Not a great look. But, you know, is is what it is. Uh, so so apparently this Mardu deck is is copying City Stalker Connoisseur with the backside of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah. Where did this deck come from? I don't know. This is a wild one. I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, you're just draw step locking them? Uh, maybe. It's, it's very bizarre. Very bizarre deck. Let me look up Fable as a Mirror Breaker. I'm pretty sure you can do it at instant speed. Yes, you can. So in, in theory, you could do this in standard with like Ravenous Rat and stuff. It's just yeah, the cards are just, a little bit weaker. Yeah, and this gives you the best card. And you get a blood token. It all, all sounds pretty good. I got Skyclave Apparition in there as well. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see this deck. You have my attention. I like Fable. I think it's I think it's pretty solid. And has just not seen any play, which is kind of weird. So well, now you have your chance. This You'll is, get to this see is it. cool, at least. Uh, does not work with Inquisitor Captain, because now it has the cast thing. Correct. But, oh well. Somehow, uh, I think it'll be okay. And, you know, it seems like Inquisitor Captain still seeing play, despite that fact. So, uh, that's that's good. A more successful nerf than some of the other ones, I guess. Well, it's it's probably just in a lot of the modern white decks, right? It's like that or Emperor. I would assume so. Yeah, the top five uh, most played non-land cards from Alchemy are City Stalker Connoisseur is the most played. So that's that's wild. Inquisitor Captain, next up. Sigardian Evangel, which is a card I like quite a bit. Town Razor Tyrant, still after it's nerfed. That one was nerfed. I remember specifically that one now does the damage on the end step. Yep. So, uh, And then the final card is Divine Perch. So those, those are the five Alchemy cards having an impact. Two of the five have been nerfed already. So, uh, so weird. So weird. I Look, I'm I'm excited to see some of these different decks. I think that'll be cool. This is just such the wrong time for this Alchemy tournament. And granted, it's the first chance ever. So you'd think like, yes, time for Alchemy. Let's go. But Standard is actually good. This format doesn't do enough in my eyes to distinguish itself from Standard. And just people do not care. And that is the biggest dunk I have against it is that if people don't care, then all of this is for naught. This is like a promotional vehicle that's supposed to show off this cool stuff. And, you know, maybe maybe you could argue that's the time you need it the most. When people don't care, you want to focus on it and get them to care again by exhibiting cool play. But, like, uh, locking people out of their draw step might, <laughs> might not be the coolest thing. And then just playing, like, a bunch of mono white mirrors, not going to be the coolest thing. Naya runes, uh, I wouldn't say that's super cool. So, I don't know. I've really putting a lot of hopes on this venture deck to do something that gets people excited. All right. There's seven players playing Grixis Midrange, which is basically the Mardu Midrange deck, except with Kaito. Okay. I'm in. That's that's neat. All right. We know what we're rooting for. That That's where our, our bread is buttered. We're big Mardu slash Grixis Midrange fans this weekend. And uh, everyone else, a little bit of venture too. Back, backdoor rooting for venture. Everyone else... Hope you uh, do not do well in the tournament. Sorry. Well, why not? No, uh, these are the only decks I, I want to see. Okay. Sorry. Well, okay. So what? I need to know what the Japanese contingent is playing to. I want it to be the Mardu list. Like I, I want to believe that in my heart. I obviously don't know that. So, you know, we'll see when we tune in, bright and early tomorrow morning. We will find out tomorrow. 
game. Good luck.